Acts chapter 19. Continuing our look into uh, the issue of revival. Tonight's actually kind of ties into what we've been going over on Sunday evenings uh, with spiritual warfare. Here uh, in Acts chapter 19, uh, Paul uh, recounts, not Paul, Luke recounts uh, the uh, collision of the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light and uh, the great repentance uh, that occurred uh, when those outside of Christ uh, attempted to use Jesus' uh, name simply as a magical tool. Just so we understand the greater context of what is going on here, I'll begin reading in uh, cha- uh, verse 1 of chapter 19. Luke writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, recording uh, how God worked through the apostles in that infant church, beginning in verse 1, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No. We have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who is to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about twelve men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks." And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick. And their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magical arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Verse 21, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. 
About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in his trade and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but that also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be disposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. So what we have here in these initial verses of Acts 19 is the birth of a church, a church that was attempting to walk both in darkness and light at the same time, and a revival in this church as they've come aware uh, they cannot walk in darkness and light at the same time. They're either to be of the light or of the darkness. They were birthed out of an uh, extraordinary work of God. You know, it's important to note who is doing these extraordinary miracles. Paul was not a miracle worker. The apostles were not miracle workers. Uh, none of the apostles, uh, the 11 minus Judas, nor Paul themselves, viewed themselves as faith healers or miracle workers. But uh, it's interesting that this is occurring in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was a city uh, heavily involved in the dark arts, as uh, we see and evidenced in the lives of the believers who uh, come to repentance as uh, this work of revival in their midst. Uh, in the Greco-Roman world, uh, uh, Ephesian writings uh, were just another name for magic spells. Uh, everybody was uh, heavily in invested in the works of darkness there. Uh, even those Jews uh, who were itinerant in their ministry, uh, they more often function as shaman or faith healers than religious leaders. And it's after having spent two years there ministering to Jews and Greeks, ministering in the halls of Tyrannus, and commentators tell us that Paul would have rented it out between 11 in the morning till about 4 in the afternoon, the hottest part of the day, when nobody else wanted to use it. Also interesting, commentators point out that when Paul is renting this Room in the hall of Tyrannus to teach people the way after basically getting booted out of the synagogue. Paul is choosing to teach in the time of day where there are actually less people awake than at one in the morning. It's important to realize that when we are reading the New Testament, we're stepping into a different world. You know, sometimes we kind of think, you know, everything was like it was today. They didn't have uh, air conditioning. No, it's 100 plus degrees uh, inside and outside. Uh, there's nothing better to do than take your siesta. 
And so Paul has a very dedicated group of believers. When when everybody's in their home laying down, trying to avoid the cool of the day, they're going uh, to hear him teach for two years. And this is not normative to the life of the church. Note what Luke says, verse 11, And God was doing extraordinary miracles. Not only was God doing miracles, He was doing extraordinary miracles. And I think part of the reason why God was doing extraordinary miracles in the city of Ephesus, the city known for its interest in uh, the mystical powers, was for God to demonstrate that His power was genuine. Whereas uh, the Ephesians with their sorcery and their magic spells heaped up empty phrases uh, thinking that they were going to attain the spiritual powers, uh, no words necessary, God simply did miracles. And after witnessing uh, the mighty inbreaking of the kingdom, uh, which is a foretaste of what it will be like when Christ returns again and makes everything as it should be, the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, uh, get an idea. See, it's important to note uh, that the Jewish exorcist and the Jewish leaders, whenever they wanted to do exorcism, they couldn't use the name of God. Couldn't say God. Because uh, that would be taking the, they had such a high view of the name of God that they viewed any use as uh, taking uh, the Lord's name in vain. So they see and observe uh, that Paul is having this amazing effectiveness in the supernatural side of ministry. And uh, the, the commonality is that Jesus' name, uh, Paul keeps talking about Jesus. So they get this idea that if they use the name of Jesus, that maybe the name of Jesus has this magical power, that just by saying Jesus, magical things will happen. But we know that's not the case, even though even in our own day and age, uh, there are many that still have this idea that, you know, if I say Jesus enough, uh, good things will happen. The power isn't in the name, the power is in the one who has the name. It says then, verse 13, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the name of Jesus whom Paul proclaims. They're basically using the name of Jesus in what would have been viewed as a magical incantation. And Luke narrows down on seven particular exorcists who tried using Jesus' name in this way. Verse 14, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. And I, I, I think that the, there is some rich irony here, because if you are familiar with the Gospels and Jesus' life and ministry, uh, they would accuse Jesus of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub. That he was using Satan's power to attack Satan's kingdom. And, and Jesus basically asked the religious leaders and the high priest, if I am casting out demons by the power of Satan, who are your sons casting demons out? Well, the reality was they weren't really casting out demons. They had an ineffective ministry. The only person that ever actually effectively cast out a demon was Jesus and then his disciples who had his authority. So these seven men attempt to use the name of Jesus in that way. Verse 15, But the evil spirit answered them, 
Jesus I know and Paul I recognize. But who are you? You know, uh, there was a professor when I first got to Southern Seminary who taught on spiritual warfare. Uh, you might have heard of him, Chuck Lawless. Uh, in Baptist circles, he's probably the expert on spiritual warfare. He's literally written the book on it. He likens it as if uh, hell had a most wanted uh, poster. And, you know, Paul's uh, picture's right up there because he has threatened their kingdom. It's already shown us uh, that Paul has been casting out the evil spirits, uh, those who have been oppressed by the kingdom of darkness. Uh, that There has been that great impact between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, and the kingdom of light has been more powerful. And here, uh, these exorcists are attempting to kind of ride the coattails and hijack the, the Christian ministry and uh, add Jesus' name to their own ministry, and they're going to fail magnificently at it. Demon, these guys are career exorcists, and this demonic entity can only ask, who are you? Never heard of you. 70 of you guys are exorcists? Uh, never ran into anyone I know. You've never threatened hell? You've never threatened the kingdom of darkness? Not only that, verse 16, and the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them. Mastered all of them. He beat them down in a publicly humiliating way. He mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Now, uh, imagine the controversy. Imagine the tension that gets. You know, it's in the middle of the day. Seven guys come running out of the house naked and bloody uh, after having attempted to exercise a demon. You know, uh, imagine something like that happens in Harrodsburg. Uh, somebody comes running out, seven guys come running out after trying to uh, exercise uh, somebody that was demon-possessed. It would be the talk of the town. People would be talking about it for days. And, nobody, and those seven people probably wouldn't show their face in public a while because uh, just, uh, that, just as now as then, uh, even more so then, uh, to be naked was to be humiliated. So the, there is no, uh, you know, we almost cast out that demon. We were almost successful. There is no, we were this close. No, it was clearly seen uh, that they were powerless in their ministry. They were powerless because uh, their ministry wasn't rooted in a relationship with God. And what they were really attempting to do was kind of straddle uh, the border between light and darkness. And just as it would today, everyone was talking about it. Verse 17, and this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And the response is where we see revival break out. See, the unbelievers were in fear. Because the unbelievers in the Greco-Roman world, uh, they were on basically friendly terms with the demonic powers. You know, for many, as uh, we see elsewhere, uh, the, with the girl uh, in uh, Thessalonica, the girl with the python spirit uh, that could foresee the future. 
And so it was very threatening to them and their way of life, uh, knowing that there was a power that was so absolute that it couldn't be hijacked, couldn't be used uh, uh, like uh, their sorcery. And so Luke says, And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Now they understood that Jesus wasn't this uh, magical phrase, uh, this magic word that made everything better. Now we see the revival in the believers. So Paul has been teaching these believers for two years. Uh, God has done extraordinary things in their midst. They've been dedicated believers, but they've been also straddling the border between darkness and light. Luke puts it this way, Also many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. Not their past practices, but their present practices. Even though they were believers, they were still walking in things, practicing things that were contrary to the will of God. And what the church is doing here in Ephesus is what John tells us in 1 John. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Now, as I've said in our previous messages, every great revival of religion, in addition to having prayer behind it, has been rooted in repentance. Where God's people recognize, well, we're not where we should be. We're not what we should be. Well, we haven't walked in the obedience that He's called to. We haven't had the unity that He's called us to. We haven't loved one another as He's called us to love one another. You know, the challenging thing about repentance is it requires that self-examination. It's not easy. It's not comfortable. It's like when you have something wrong with you and you go to the doctor and you know they're going to poke and prod. It only hurts when they poke and prod because there's something wrong. Repentance is also costly. No, re- repentance, uh, it, it means a turning away. And uh, we see how literally costly it was for the church in Ephesus. Not only are they confessing and divulging their practices, but Luke continues, verse 19, And a number of those who have practiced magical arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. This isn't like the book burnings in Nazi Germany or Soviet Russia. This is God's people convicted because the things that they have, the things that they have been treasuring, the things that they have been drawn to despite their saving relationship with Christ, they have come to realize that they are not honoring to Christ. They are not consistent with the light of walking in the light. And that has been demonstrably demonstrably proven to them. Uh, through the encounter that occurred with the seven sons of Sceva and the demon-possessed man. Uh, Any idea that Jesus might be a magical add-on to their life would have been quickly dispelled there. So they are bringing their books and they are burning them in the sight of all, making a clean break from the past that had identified them. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, 
again, we live in a different world. Uh, I don't think any of us has even 10 or 20 pieces of silver uh, lying in a safe in our homes. Uh, so just to put this in today's perspective, uh, one recent commentator basing it on an average uh, salary of $100 a week said this would be equivalent to $50 million. Could you imagine believers being disgusted uh, with, with things uh, that are contrary to the will of God, that they gathered them up rather than taking them off and trying to sell them and make a dollar off it, but being utterly convinced that they were uh, against the will of God, that they were willing to watch $50 million of stuff go up? What's the other response to that? They're doing this in public. Their repentance is in public. Those that used to be their friends and partners in the darkness are seeing them openly own that it's not consistent with their Christian life. What's the result of this? Verse 20, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. God drew near to him in a mighty powerful way. Uh, when we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Uh, God draws near to us. Uh, when we repent of our sins, uh, we draw closer to God than uh, when we're unrepentant in our sins. And here they are. God is drawn near to them in a powerful way. And God is using their repentance uh, for the furtherance of the gospel. They turned the whole world upside down. You know, those that profited off the dark arts, those that were heavily invested in this, felt threatened. You know, it's been a long time uh, since uh, uh, the forces of darkness have felt threatened by Christianity in America. You know, you, you never hear uh, in major cities uh, of uh, the strip clubs organizing to uh, attack the churches because of the threat they are to their business. That's exactly, uh, basically what happened here because you might not realize it, but the temple of Artemis, uh, Artemis uh, was uh, the love goddess, and uh, the Greco-Romans uh, thought that uh, by engaging in acts of temple prostitution with temple prostitutes, both male and female, they thought that was their worship. They thought that was worshiping Artemis. And Paul continues ministering in the light of this great revival. Verse 21, Now after these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I've been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. So Paul sees this great work of God people being repentant and uh, that being a, a springboard for the gospel to reach the lost because as I said the first Sunday, uh, revival isn't going to begin in the lost world. Re revival isn't something that happens outside of the followers of Christ. You know, it's when we are revived, when we, God draws near to us, then it goes and impacts the community. That's what we're seeing here in Acts 19. 
Back to verse 23. About that time there rose no little disturbance concerning the way. Now revival's broken out. People are getting saved. And those in power, those profiting off of the paganism are threatened. I mean, they're scared. Verse 24, for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, not only did they have the temple, but everyone had their own little uh, statue of Artemis that they could worship in their homes, which the believers would have gotten rid of when they came to Christ because they would have nothing to do with that idolatry. Brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the worksmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia. So it started in Ephesus, and God has reached out into the surrounding areas through what he has done in Ephesus. Every revival of religion in the history of Christianity is started in one place and spreads. It, it, it never remains an isolated incident. Other believers hear about it and it spreads like wildfire. So they continue on. And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that God's made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be disposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. And so what they end up doing in response to this revival is they riot. I mean, when, has, uh, when have we been used of God in such a way, any church really, that the unbelieving world has rioted in response to their way of life being turned upside down? And when God draws near, it has a radical effect on the community. And those uh, that stay in darkness, they will not love it. Those uh, that are of the light, uh, they distance themselves from the darkness. It all begins in repentance. Had the church in Ephesus not repented of their dealings and their practices, uh, they probably would have continued uh, giving their business to men like Demetrius. Uh, They probably would have even visited uh, the temple on the side when no one was looking. Uh, We know such uh, things happened in the church in Corinth uh, where uh, they would visit prostitutes. And uh, in that world, uh, prostitution was usually tied to a pagan temple. That's why uh, Paul uh, constantly reminds the church in Corinth uh, that asking them what fellowship hath light with darkness? Answer being none. Last week uh, we saw that there's going to be no revival without prayer and there's going to be no revival without repentance. We need to ask the Spirit to search our hearts for those things that are contrary to your, His will. We would repent. That we would repent and we would run so close to Him that it would change our lives and change our communities.
The only thing uh, that will change our community, we, we know uh, there, there's issues with drug problems. And it probably doesn't make the papers, but we know that there's probably human trafficking that goes on in our community. I know it has stuff like that happened where I was in Alabama uh, about a year ago now. It was a, I think it was last April. Uh, it came out of the newspaper where uh, a mother w- was basically trafficking her daughters, selling them. The only thing that is going to push back the darkness is the light. The only way our light will shine is that when we stop trying to walk in the darkness and stop trying to straddle that line and try to live in both worlds. If we're saved, we've been called from the kingdom of darkness. We've been translated into the kingdom of His marvelous light so that our light would shine. When that happens, well, we shouldn't expect everything to go perfectly smooth. You know, you, you think about the Great Awakening, uh, it, we can romanticize the ministry uh, of men like John Wesley and Charles Wesley and George Whitfield and think, you know, it was a magnificent time, thousands were getting saved. Yeah, thousands were getting saved, but these men were constantly being pelted with rotten eggs and stones. Uh, and w- John Wesley's journal, uh, he, he had a period of time where he hadn't been uh, persecuted and attacked for some time. And he, he began wondering, uh, am I still in the Lord's will? Uh, have I compromised my ministry in, in such a way where, where I'm not threatening uh, the forces of darkness? And, and as he was thinking that on horseback, a dead cat flame came flying at his face. You know, if revival were to break out in our community, our country tomorrow, wouldn't it be well received by everyone? There would be pressure. There would be an outcry against it. There would be persecution. There would be challenge. There's a reason why... And there, there will be even persecution by those that claim to be God's people. You know, the Great Awakenings, there was a reason why men like uh, George Whitfield and John Wesley and Charles Wesley preached out in the fields. They preached out in the fields because no church would let them in their pulpits. Because the message that they preached, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God, threatened uh, the establishment of their day. And it might be that uh, there are those uh, that a revival in the church uh, would feel threatened by. It's the great need uh, of our community. It's the great need of our country. It's the great need of our world. You know, we think of uh, the statistic between 65 and 80% of churches in North America being plateaued and declining. In a recent, I read an article this morning uh, saying that the answer to dying churches in inner city areas uh, is a faith-to-faith conversion. You know, uh, Instead of having churches there, uh, the churches that are dying just need to sell their buildings to mosques and Buddhist temples, uh, which is happening increasingly. Not just here in America, but all across Europe. You know, we, we think about how quickly America is secularizing. Europe is decades ahead of us. E- even those in churches and professing to be believers in Christ 
have more in common in their beliefs with the secular and unbelieving world than what we find in the Scriptures. So we should and we must pray for revival. That's the only thing that's going to change our community. It's the only thing that's going to change our country. So the only thing that's going to change our world. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, uh, we thank you for your word and I pray that you would send a revival. But we know that one of the first steps in that road would be uh, repentance. So I pray uh, that your spirit would search our hearts for those things that aren't pleasing to you. And that we would repent where we must seek forgiveness from someone we may have wronged in the past. That we would seek that forgiveness and reconciliation. As you have called us to be reconciled to one another. To forgive one another as God and Christ has forgiven us. And I pray the, the overflow of that repentance and that godly sorrow well, would be... A, a deeper love, a deeper desire to draw near to You, a deeper desire to point others to Christ, that You would do a work in our midst and in our community that would cause Your Word to prevail mightily as it did in Acts. For this we pray in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.